we're going to be continuing in our Soul Detox um, series this morning. And it's our last Sunday in this series. Yeah, that's what I was going for. Okay, there's a few of you. Um, if you have missed any of it, of course, do get onto the podcasts. Mikey has been on fire um, just recently getting those podcasts up for you. And they're available on iTunes and on Spotify. You can get up to date um, with anything and everything. Of course, uh, you know, just me talking to you is not going to detox your soul. Does anybody understand that? You know, my words do not have that power. Um, So you need to make sure you're in transformed communities, plugging into these truths and realities, get into grips with them. If you're not yet part of a transformed community, see me afterwards or see Ron, who's waving um, over on the side there. He'll help you too. That's absolutely wonderful. You need to dig into these truths. Now, this morning, um, it's our last one in the series, but potentially this could be really, really profound and powerful for us. It's not to say the others haven't been really precious and important. They have been. What I want to say to you is that this is one of those kinds of messages where you might listen to the words and agree with them, even affirm the words, but then it's perfectly possible to say that was nice, go out of those doors after you've had a cup of coffee with your friends and and enjoyed their company, and, and largely forget about it or remain unchanged. I'm going to confess to you, I've done that in church before. I imagine I'm not on my own. I've heard some really good preaching and I've heard some wonderful messages. I've even encountered God as he's moved in my life and I've pretty much gone away. And then the cares of this world and other such things, it's the parable of the sower, I guess, isn't it? They come and they just kind of choke things away or snatch things away. And, and then the gospel reality hasn't really grown in my life. I'm not going to get you to wave your hands, but I imagine there's other people like me. Yeah, we, pretty, we can be there. Can we, let's not let that happen this morning. Is that all right? Seven of us again. I'm going to gun for 14 by the end. Um, Let's not let that happen. Come on. Let's just pray again for one minute. Would you close your eyes? And let's just, let's, let's recognize that the word of God working in our lives, works in our lives, not by my eloquence, not by your strength, but by our humble obedience to the working of the spirit of God. Okay? This is what we're surrendering ourselves to this morning. And this morning we simply want to say, Spirit of the living God, would you cause the word of God to come alive in me today? I choose this morning to humbly surrender myself to your word, to your will for my life. What I'm doing is I'm saying, let Jesus be Lord. Maybe in new ways in my life, new parts of my life. Lord Jesus Christ, would you be at work in me? so that I might be more like you, Jesus, to the glory of God, my Father. And all God's people say, amen. 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 If you said amen, you're in this now. Uh, You said amen, there's no getting out. Pastor Greg tricked you into praying. It's terrible, isn't it? Anyhow. What we're going to be talking about this morning... We've talked about lots of things, talked about heavy souls, restless souls, tortured souls. Today we're going to be talking about the seduced soul. Hopefully you've all got um, pages of notes. Thank you, David and and Andy, you're helping people if they've not yet got them. That's great. You can follow along on your notes this morning. It's worthwhile me saying as well as we get going, you should have received a little card this morning. I want your help with upcoming sermon series. So if it gets really, really boring what I'm saying, then you can fill that in. Um, And then, you know, back in the room. Um, But fill that in because we're going to want you to pop that in the offering bag at the end of the gathering, okay? So if you can help me with that, that's fantastic. It's not boring yet though. So, you know, know, look at me. Um, Now, I I don't know. I don't know about you. Um, Parents, mostly I'm talking to in the room right now, I guess. But when when, uh, Erin and I were preparing um, for the arrival of our first, you try and prepare, don't you? Try and do everything you can. And you prepare and you, you kind of get, you get the nursery ready um, because you're kind of you know, brand new parents. And then, of course, you realize we're not going to need this room for like six months, you know, maybe a year. But you do it. You get it all ready. And you learn about various things and you make decisions about what you're going to do and, and you know, things that your kids are going to eat and da-da-da-da-da. Nobody told me that my kids essentially would, would try to destroy themselves at every opportunity. Does anybody know this, parents of small children? I've been looking and looking on the back of my kid's head and wherever it might be for the on-off self-destruct switch. I've not found it yet. 
And so if any of you wiser and older parents than me tell me where it is, that would be fantastic. Because kids just seem to want to break themselves. Does anybody know this is true? Kids, they just, yeah. <laughs> Somebody's pointing at adults and they're saying, yeah, he wants to break himself. Anyhow, um, they do. I, I was thinking about this before and I was thinking about one particular occasion where, um, was it Judah or Nora just basically climbed to the edge of the couch and just nosedived straight into their face? It was Judah. He just dove onto his face off the, off the side of our couch. Why would you do that? It's nuts, isn't it? Why would you do that? He just, he just got up there, climbed up, and he's just like, right, I know what needs to be on the floor, my own face. And so he just pile-drived his face into the ground. Then, of course, he goes, horribly wrong, and he's crying, and it's all just terrible. Yeah, sorry, son, I'm talking about you. Erin told me, uh, there's going to come a point where I have to stop talking about him, because um, he's, he's, he's on to me. He's looking at me. Oh, don't look at um, they, they try and destroy themselves. And, and, and we're trying to teach him in the car park when we go to nursery what is good and appropriate behavior. But they see the lights of the car and they're like, ooh, lights, it's so beautiful. And they go to, I mean, they're, they're worse than squirrels. Uh, kids, they're just trying to destroy themselves all the time. I've heard it's not just about young children. Uh, sorry to say this, guys. I heard it's about teenagers as well. Um, the, no amens from the parents of teenagers. Come on, come on. Um, apparently, something goes on in the brains of teenagers. It's a, it's, a, it's a time when your brains are advancing rapidly. Yeah? They're looking at me like, no. Um, no, it is. And all these new neural pathways are forming in the minds of teenagers. And apparently a product of that is that teenagers become wired for risk. Yeah? It's why it's always teenagers and young people doing really silly things like, you know, cliff jumping and I don't know, all these kind of crazy things, trying out really odd and strange behaviors. There's no way we should let teenagers drive cars, is there? Can I get an amen? Um, because I mean, essentially we're just giving them this kind of weapon, and, uh, but their minds are wired for risk. Uh, there's no way I'm ever going to, until I die, I'm never going to tell um, my mum what I got up to in her car that she graciously gave me when I was a teenager. Um, I, I have a feeling she suspects, um, but uh, no, no, I'm, sorry, I'm not going to say anything. Um, it'll be like a deathbed confession or something like that, but it's just wired for risk. And um, it seems it's not just about teenagers. I don't know whether you remember that a few years ago, um, there was a story about a guy in, um, in Brooklyn and... Uh, and, and he was, he had received some wounds on his body and his brother came around and found him in his flat and they took him to hospital and they said it was a dog had done it. But turns out he had a Bengal tiger in his flat. Did you hear about this story? There's a guy in Harlem and apparently he didn't start off with a Bengal tiger, apparently he started off with a spider monkey and he graduated to a boa constrictor. You can't, how could you sleep with a boa constrictor in the house? It's just not possible, is it? But then he graduated from there. And apparently at one point he had two lions and two tigers. Uh, but he felt like that was a little much, so he gave three of them away. <laughs> I feel like one tiger is too much. Um, but the tiger grew, and they apparently had this bond together. And the tiger thought that that bond was essentially going to lead to him eating the man. Um, I don't know. What... People are crazy, aren't they? People are crazy. And it seems that whether you're a baby, a teenager, or a crazy New Yorker, people are wired to kind of be attracted to things that actually will bring them destruction. And there's some extreme examples, but there's a little bit of that. Sometimes there's a lot of that in all of us too. Now, why is this so important? Our key thought as we've been going through this sermon series, and I reckon a few of you, you know this by now, you can probably help me with this. Our key thought is we are not a soul with a, yeah, a body. Thanks, Micah. He's on fire today. Um, we're not a soul with a body. Help me with the second half. Actually, we're a body with a, yeah. That's our key thinking and our key understanding. All too often, we live within things that are solely physical, there's a little pun there. Um, without realizing that our fundamental reality is the spiritual soul reality of what God has breathed into us. These bodies, they're time limited. They're going to come to an end. And when they die, I tell you what's not going to die. Your soul. 
Your soul is going to continue. And whilst oftentimes we pay attention to our bodies, or at least we, th- we know that we should pay attention to our bodies and what we eat and how we exercise and how we live, we don't pay so much attention to our souls. This is incredibly important because when we think about our souls, a key area of detox in our lives is that God is inviting us to detox from what Pastor Karen was mentioning earlier, idols, idols. And you might say, well, what has that got to do with me? Let's dig into this a little bit more. This is something that's been for all of human history. Right, right early doors, Exodus chapter 20, verses three and four. In In the commandments that God gave, right up top of the list, um, early on in this list of commandments, not, it doesn't move towards behaviors first. It starts off with who we understand God to be. And right early on is this, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. No idols, no types, nothing at all in heaven above or the earth beneath or in the waters below. No idols in the form of anything. God's putting this out front and center because he knows, and I love the way Tim Keller puts this, he says that the human heart is an idol factory. We're so prone to taking the good gifts of God's creation and turning good gifts into terrible gods. We take things that God has made to, to, be, to be good blessings ordered according to his lordship and we elevate them over and over again to a status that they're not made for and that causes nothing but grief and harm. And so God puts this right at the beginning. He knows this because he's made us to be worshippers. Did you know that you were made to worship? Yes. Yeah? Uh, we, we prioritize within our gatherings acts of worship, sung worship, but that's not the only form of worship. You don't have to be singing songs in order to worship. In fact, your entire life is a life of worship. And the only question is, what or who are you worshiping? And so God seeks to bring helpful order into the very beginning of human relations. And he says, nothing but me. Nothing is worthy of your worship but me. If you are to worship anything else, I tell you, there's nothing but heartache and harm coming your way. The Bible, again, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, it it kind of reinforces this, this element of God's good law for us. And it's put in even more detail here. In Deuteronomy 4 and verse 16 onwards, it says, So do not corrupt yourselves. That's pretty dramatic, isn't it? Corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form. And then we start to get to detailed lists. It's like all those things that were pinned to Micah earlier. It's a list here. It's don't corrupt yourself with idols in any forms, whether in the form of a man or a woman, an animal on the ground, a bird in the sky, a small animal that scurries along the ground. I love that. It's like people were like, you said an animal. Does that include small animals? And God's like, yes, also small animals, not just the big animals. And um, and it continues, or a fish in the deepest sea. And when you look up in the sky and see the sun, the moon, the stars, all the forces of heaven, what does the Bible say? It says, don't be seduced into worshipping them. There's strong language here, isn't there? It's the sense of being corrupted and the sense of being seduced. I don't know about you, but those words don't come into my everyday conversation very often. It just sounds awkward, doesn't it? It's, it's strange. It, it, it's weighty. God is actually letting that weight sit upon the hearers of his word. These things will seduce your soul and they will bring corruption to you. For to worship anything but the one true God will destroy you. Now, You might say, well, that's all well and good, but the examples there in the Bible, they're just totally daft. There's no way I'm going to be worshipping an image of something that scurries along the ground. In our house, um, on occasion, we've had trouble with mice. Um, Old house, there's there's holes everywhere, basically. And uh, what are you going to do? We're in Birkenhead, there's houses everywhere, there's mice sometimes. When I know that there's a mouse in our house... um, I do not, I do not create a graven image of the mouse, place it upon the hearth, 
and gather the family around after dinner and say, let us now bow down to this mouse. We know it is small and fast, and it has outfoxed your father on a number of occasions. Therefore, it is worthy of our worship. And the children are like, yes, okay, let's sing some songs about the mouse and Judah gets his ukulele. No, no, this doesn't, it doesn't happen. I put out traps and I try to kill the beggars. Um, I'm terribly sorry if I say that. And some of you are like looking at me like, I'm a vegetarian, I'm a vegan, and I respect all of the things of God's creation. Well, I'll send them around yours. Um, I'm being silly, but you don't worship things that, I know you don't. I know you don't necessarily kind of look up into the sky and say, isn't it pretty? I need to bow down and worship the night sky. It's a bit ridiculous. And and maybe you read the Old Testament and you see them. I mean, they made that golden calf, didn't they, on that occasion? And you say, well, that's weird. It's a bit ridiculous. It's a bit stupid. They are old people, old-fashioned people. You know, that's what they did then. Hmm. Is it irrelevant? Is it really? Actually, idolatry is sneaky because it's really easy to identify in other people and really hard to recognize or admit to in your own life. You know, those, you know, those Hebrews in the Old Testament, they weren't bowing down to the golden calf and like the ones at the front were really keen and the ones at the back were like, isn't this really daft? It's a cow made out of gold. They were all into it because they didn't see it. That was their thing. What we're going to understand this morning is you've got a thing, almost certainly. And, And actually, that's the thing that's really hard for you to see. Other people's idols might be super obvious to you. You might think it's daft ridiculous that they worship that. But let's have the humility and the understanding to realize there's stuff for us. And we need God's help. Anyone need God's help this morning? There's um, a story that Craig Rochelle gives. And I've been pointing you towards his book, Soul Detox. We've drawn so much of our material from there. I know many of you, you've been doing on version the Soul Detox reading plan. If you've not got onto it yet, get onto it. It's fantastic. Um, he tells a story, a friend of his, who went to a remote village in India. And of course, they... In the, in the remote areas. They didn't have any of the, the modern-day luxuries that we have. But this friend, he met a lady, and she was actually, um, and forgive me, it's a little brutal, but she was sacrificing chickens to a, a, an image, a god that she had on a kind of a makeshift altar. And she's raising up these chickens just to sacrifice them. And so this guy, he's like, wow, I've read about this. I've heard about it. And now I'm actually seeing it, the real thing. I mean, there's idolatry. There it is, really obvious, as she sacrifices genuine chickens at a genuine altar. He got into a conversation with her, and he found out that she'd actually visited his country, the United States of America. And so they got talking. He said, did you like it? Did you like it there? And she says, no, I hated it with all of my heart. It was the most disgusting place I've ever been to, and I'm never going to go back again. And he's offended. Why? Why was it so disgusting? She said to him, and get this, she said, it's the most idolatrous nation on the planet. There's a lady, literally, with chickens that she's sacrificing to idols on an altar. And she says to this guy, your country's the most idolatrous on the planet. And he's a bit like, what? Pot? Kettle? (laughs) What's going on here? What do you mean? Well, she said, let's just be honest. She said, Most of you are overweight. Why? Because food is your God. You talk about it, dream about it, you're consumed by it. You've got mega stores with aisles and aisles of food to make you fat. Every corner has multiple restaurants all over. And and all you do is eat the things that make you fat. It's idolatry. And then she went on to say, other end of the spectrum, she said, and how about your whole sports thing? She said, it's pathetic how you've got multi-million dollar facilities and then all you people who've just eaten ridiculous food dress up in someone else's uniforms, paint your faces and go and cheer as if you could really catch a ball. She was quite blunt, wasn't she? She's like, it's idolatry. And then she said, in your homes you each have also your little altars of worship. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, you take this thing and you put it on your wall and you plug it in. 
And then you line up all the chairs in the room around that television and you align your whole house and your family gathers together and you just worship for hours at a time at the things that come out of the screen. Are you struck by the irony of this? There she is practicing something and we, we would all say, that's ridiculous. But she looked at this guy in his country and, and to be honest, our country is not much different. And she said, actually, you're ridiculous. <laughs> Idolatry is everywhere and it will infect us all. These things, they become not only, not, no longer good gifts, and some of them, they're not even good gifts. They become idols in our lives. Jesus asked us a question. We've asked it many times. Let's ask it of ourselves again. What good is it for a man, for a woman, to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What good is it? It's time for a little soul detox. How do we dethrone those things that have seduced our souls? How do we ensure that idols are not the mini-gods of reduced lives, but actually they can be cast down? What are we saying? Nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Jesus, you're the center. Come on, we sing these words. Everything revolves around you. Is it true? Is it true? I, I, I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. I've been doing it all week. Is it true? Is it true? How can, we, how can we get somewhere healthy? How can we get somewhere good with God? Firstly, we need to learn, and if you've got your notes, you can add this into your notes. We need to learn to identify the idols of our souls. Like we said, it's not always obvious. It's not always easy. We need to learn how to identify these things. What is it that we've elevated to the supreme place, a place it doesn't deserve, something that even that may rank higher than the one true God in our lives? Psalm 24 is going to be helpful for us here. Verses 3 and 4 we can read. The question's asked, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? You know, this is what we're made for. We're made to be with God and to worship him. How, how do we get there? How can we be these people? Well, the answer is, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, one who doesn't lift up his soul, her soul, to an idol. One who doesn't lift up their soul to an idol. Look, this is the challenge. It's so easy for us to justify or to rationalize or to bring all sorts of excuses as to why some things they're not really idols after all. And we'll just shut down a careful examination of our lives. If we did so, then we'd realize that we pay more attention to them than we do to God. We'll realize that we invest more time or energy, resource, talent in those things than we do in God or his church or his mission. What we do is we shut down the conversation. We shut down the analysis. But God is saying, you want to be healthy? You want to have a detoxed, free soul to enjoy me and live as I've ordered your life? We need God's help in identifying these things. We're going to look at three things, three areas of life. And, and uh, you know, you can do this work as we go through the week with your transformed communities, those that you're doing life with. I'm going to ask you them now. Let's see how they sit with us. Firstly, how do we spend our time? Isn't that like the most precious resource that you have? Don't you think? Time. It's like infinitely precious, isn't it really? It always seems so stretched and strained. How do you spend your time? Secondly, how do you spend your money? How do you spend your money, your resources? Thirdly, what do you talk about? What characterizes your conversation? What are the primary markers of the way that you talk with others? If you find that a vast majority of your time is focused on one thing, if you look at your bank account and realize, oh goodness, I'm spending a huge amount on this particular area of life, or if you find yourself in conversation time and again, kind of no matter what the conversation is about, keeps on heading back to a particular topic, then what we're realizing is these things have a, perhaps an unprecedented and probably not warranted place in our lives. Now think about your conversation. Look, if God is really that important to us, should it not be that our conversation should be regularly, repeatedly drifting towards God? 
Do we find that to be a reality in our lives? Do we find it to be a reality in our lives? Now, I, more or less every single conversation I have with one of my neighbours is about Tranmere Rovers. And, um, and let me say that's a pretty good conversation to have at the moment, isn't it? So they're just going to go out this afternoon and totally destroy another team that remains nameless in this place. Um, I say that. I know there's a few of you that like such a team, but God is at work upon your heart. Um, I know, and he's releasing you from this in the name of Jesus. Should we just intercede for Tranmere for a minute? Should we just do that? Um, should we just bow our heads? <laughs> I'm sure you're going to do that when you go home anyway, but... Do your conversations, though, ever, do they drift in that similar way? Do they drift towards God? Is that just a natural tendency of your conversational life? Or is it other things? I don't know what it is for you, but, I mean, we can guess at some of the obvious ones, isn't it? Um, how about your home? Homes are such a, a kind of a, increasingly an obsession, aren't they? There's a sense that if we can just craft it just so, then everything else in our life will come together. <laughs> I, we were driving along uh, uh, Scotty Road and, and, and onwards out towards Aintree, um, and I, I, I never really noticed before, but there were loads and loads of home shops as we went along, all these independent home stores, and there was one that was called myhomerocks.com, and it was like, yeah, come on, they're confident in their home. I looked inside, I was instantly blinded by all of the mirrors and chrome and gla- you know all these things, it wasn't really me at all, but they were like, yeah, it's all about... And, it becomes a thing, doesn't it? It's like every telly channel has just endless... There's telly, there is a home TV channel, isn't there? On your cable. You're like, Pastor Greg, we just pray we don't watch TV. Um, I know, that's not true. But I, I go past it, I see it. There's a whole channel just about home stuff. It can become an idol. can dominate, determine everything. So much investment goes into it. You almost worship your home. How about, for some people, it's their image. The hair's just got to be so... The clothing has to be so, the, the footwear has to be just right. Uh, you know, some people, they've got to have the right amount of tan. Other people, it's no tan. Um, other people, it's like tattoos. Other people, it's like piercings. It's just got to be just so. Everything's got to be just right. And if we can just get it just so, then we will look just perfect until, like, you know, time moves on. And then we're like, oh, I don't want to look like that anymore. Uh, the idol changes and we move on, we move on. Constantly asking other people, what do you think about the way I look? Goodness me. For some folks, it's, it's your children. It's our kids. And our kids are important. They're pretty precious. I've been doing my best to keep mine alive. It's going all right. Um, but for some of us, they, they move from, from being these gifts that God gives to us that we might raise in his way, and they become idols. Our lives end up revolving around meeting their every need, following their every whim. We'll invest in them. And we invest in our kids to the extent that we'll, we'll take them here and there and wherever. We'll do this, that, and the other. But, you know, we never show them that, that they're not as important as God in our lives. They're not as important as God in our lives. And that my life revolves around God and not around them. Could be your hobby could be whatever consumes your free time. Maybe there's something that you just literally won't miss on a Saturday. And the challenge then comes sometimes to us, doesn't it? There's something in our lives and we won't miss it. We're there every week. We're doing this, our exercise class, our whatever it is, our hobby, our pastime. But then a Sunday comes and it's like, well, Ad, you know, I'll get to church if I can. Or, you know, it'll happen from time to time. And do these idols need skewering in our lives? For some of us, we might idolize our online identity. And and we portray a certain image. And our lives, they revolve. And the social media guys, they know what they're doing. It's like, how many likes can you get? How many comments can you get? Not long ago, it was all about streaks that people were having, wasn't it? In their conversational life. And this addictive nature of things that become all-consuming. And it's about, how am I portraying myself? How am I getting this engagement? I'm looking out at you, and some of you, you're looking back at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. Bear with me. Uh, We've just identified the fact that you're old, but it's okay. We still love you. Um, I'm in that middle ground. It could go either way. No, it's only going to go one way, isn't it? And anyhow... What are your idols? What are your idols? I could confess to you this morning, 
for me, sometimes it becomes a point of idolatry. I don't know whether you've noticed, but I'm really opinionated. You're really quiet at that point. You're like, how do we say this to Pastor Greg so we don't offend him? I'm really opinionated. I really am. I love to be informed. I love to form opinions. Deep down inside, I want to be right all the time. Yeah? That's actually really good for me because if I'm really, really bad, I would say I am right all the time. This is me at my most negative place. It's an idol a little bit. And, you know, I need to kind of oftentimes recognize that, that I, I, I'm not right. I have an opinion. And that's it. We recently, as a church, many of you, we did this thing called the Enneagram. And it's kind of just this way of kind of trying to get to grips with your character. And, um, and I'm a particular type. Those of you who know about this, you're probably like, yeah, we know. Um, and, uh, and, but then they were saying there are all these other types. And, and, and in the bump, it was saying, and they're all legitimate ways at looking at the world. Honestly, that dethroned an idol in my life. Because I was convinced that my way of looking at the world was the right way. Is there anyone else with this idol? Yeah, you're all just lying. Um, there are some, this is our idol. We just think, I'm right. It needs to be dethroned in my life. You know, just surrendered, submitted. What are your idols? The reason why we're talking about this, the reason why I want to pray about this, humbly, sincerely before God, will you do this work? Will you do this work? So easy just to go and say, oh, there's nothing too corrosive in my life. There's nothing too corrupting. God has commanded you. If you're worshipping anything, and, and we've given a pretty healthy definition here of worship. If you're worshipping anything other than God, you're corrupted. Your soul has been seduced. It's this blunt language. It's not mine. It's the Bible's. So when we've identified these idols, what does the Bible invite us to do? Tear down your idols. Tear them down. Again, the Bible uses really strong language about these things. Judges chapter 6, verse 25. You might know about the story of Gideon. But right early doors in the story of Gideon... Before he was going to fight battles and lead the people and do all these incredible things, there was some hard work to be done. Look, I tell you, Christian, before you go on to fight some battles, lead anywhere, see the kingdom of God come in reality, you've got to do the hard work. Does anyone know this? Come on, say amen if you know this. You've got to do the hard work. And the hard work was, what did God say to, to Gideon in this book of Judges? He said, tear down your father's altars to Baal, an idol, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. What did he not say? He didn't say, you know, put a tea towel over it. Or, you know, just kind of grow a pot plant in front of it so that, you know, it's a bit less of a thing in your life. It was rip it down and destroy it. Now, if you know the story, you'll know that there was some pushback on this. It's got a little bit kind of leery for a while. Tearing down idols in your life, it's not always the easiest thing to do. And people around you might not even be cheering you on in this. But this is what God invites you to do. Rip it down. Tear it down. Destroy the idols. Idols aren't things that you manage in your life. If you try and manage idols in your life, let me tell you what happens. They'll manage you. If you try to control idols in your life, let me tell you what happens. They will control you. They will. You're made to be a worshipper. You'll end up worshipping. This is how it will go. You know, our greatest fear should not be, should not be that, you know, we're, that we're going to kind of end up a bit like Gideon or these Old Testament folks. Our greatest fear ought to be that we, that we identify our modern day idols and we don't do anything about it. We don't do anything about it in our lives. You know, we're just going to end up saying, well, come on, you know, that's just my thing. I've got it under control. Hmm. Are you wiser than your God? We kind of have these conversations with ourselves and people around us and we're, you know, we're like, okay, our idol might be our children's sporting life or whatever it might be. And we become about idolizing their sporting prowess and their activities. And, you know, 
and we convince ourselves that we've got to have our, our three-year-old at, at gymnastics club because otherwise they're really just not going to make that 2038 Olympics. So you've got to get them in there early. And, you know, if we, if we miss a bit or, you know, if we don't fully invest in these things, then honestly, the whole lives are going to fall apart and everything revolves around it. And we convince ourselves that it's because we care and, and that's how we're kind of going to make a life for them. Are we really making a life for our kids? For some of us, it's our career and our work, and maybe we'll convince ourselves, you know, I need to do more, I need to invest more, I need to pursue this activity or that opportunity, because truth be told, I'm doing it for my family. You know, I, I may never be there, but you know, I'm providing for them, and you know, that's really important. And, and you know, our kids are crying out for our attention, but we, we convince ourselves that it's not an idol, really. It's just, I'm doing the right thing. This is the tire hitting the road. I, you know, I'm not trying to be offensive, nor am I standing before you as somebody who doesn't have idols that need to be turned down. I, I'm doing this work in my life. Come on, let, let's skewer these things. Let's not talk ourselves out of it. You know, the pursuit of material things in our lives. We live in a nation, and, you know, it's an advertising nation. It's a consumption society. And we tell ourselves that if we just have more, then it'll make us happy. And we, we talk ourselves into idolatry, not out of it. And we think, if I just get this car or this house, or I go on that holiday or, or that holiday or the, the next holiday or, or the next one, and I get the shoes, the bag, the phone, the, whatever it might be, that the, the next thing will be the thing that really satisfies my soul. Hmm. Jesus talked a bit about this. He, he had a guy on one occasion come to him, a rich young man, um, in every way, he seemed like a good guy. Kept commandments, looked after his mum and dad. Good young guy. Jesus looked at him, the Bible says in Mark chapter 10, and please notice this right at the beginning. The guy comes, he says, what, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. That's what the Bible says. He looked at him, and he loved him. Uh, what we're talking about this morning, what Jesus talks about in the Bible, he's not coming after your heart because he's just this hard taskmaster who wants to discipline you into this kind of way that he just thinks, right, come on, let's go. He loves you. He loves you. And he knows how he's made you. And he knows what he's made you for. And, and just so, Jesus talks with this young man and so what, what, what must I do? And Jesus talks about all the things that he has done. Knowing his heart, Jesus says to him, one thing you lack, go sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, don't worry, you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. You know, and Jesus opens up to him the way of setting aside what had become an idol, the place of worship in his life, and coming into freedom. But this guy, you know how the story goes, he went away very sad because he had great wealth. Another way of saying it, he went away very sad because the idol had seduced his soul. Jesus loves you and he wants you to be free. He wants you to be free. He wants you to be free. He doesn't want you to go away from him sad. He doesn't want you to go away from this place this morning sad in just a few moments. He wants you to be set free I uh, just you know what, what can this look like for our lives I, I saw just this week as I was scrolling through Facebook um, but I saw a pastor that I know on, on the Wirral and you know he, he posted something along the lines of how he's always been a bit ambivalent about Facebook but he felt like it was a corrupting presence in his life and so he said I'm, I'm going, I'm gone and it's not a fast like some folks do he said I'm just shutting it down, I'm done I'm out. He said, you can still get me on Messenger if you need to. Um, but it, it's like, I'm gone. And he'd made that choice. That this thing, it's too much time, too much energy, and it wasn't, it wasn't good. It was corrosive, corrupting in his life. I know um, different folks who, um, you know, they've, they've realized that they were spending all their lives around their tellies. And they've decided to do something radical. You know, they didn't just cancel their cable or their Netflix or, or whatever it was. They got rid of their telly. They got rid of their telly. That shouldn't probably sound radical, but it does, doesn't it? 
They just said, enough. We'll do something else with our time and with our energy, with our resources. You know, Craig Groeschel, again, I think I read it in his book, he talks of a a family who realized they weren't going to church because they were always at at the game with their season ticket, or if not, they were at their lake house. Now, some of you, you're hearing that and you're like, I, I, could, I could have a lake house. Um, <laughs> it's a different kind of life, isn't it? But there you go. But they, they were never at church. What did they do? They didn't just say, oh, we'll manage it. They actually gave up their season tickets and sold their lake house. That's a bit radical, isn't it? A bit radical? Are you wanting to manage your idols or are you willing to give them up? Because this will speak to the nature of your soul. This will speak to the, the nature of your worship of God. Now, come on. Are you willing to tear them down? Once you've identified, tear them down. We need to move on really quickly. What then is in its place? Fill your souls with God. Fill your souls with God. I rather suspect if you're here this morning, that probably sounds like really good news to you. You've probably come this morning because that was your kind of intention anyway. Maybe you felt a bit dry, a bit weary. Or even if not, you wanted to give thanks to God and seek something more of him in your life. And you're like, oh yeah, I'm on board with this. This is it's part of the same continuum. Allow the spirit to identify. Come on, let's be real about this. Tear it down. Don't try and manage it. And what, what comes in its place? Fill your souls with God. Some Psalms. You've got them on your sheet. Read them in the week. Discuss them in your groups. Psalm 84 verse 2. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord, the presence, the place of God. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Psalm 107 verse 9. For God satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul. It's him who fills it with good things. Psalm 142 verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for the water, for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. It's vivid, poetic language, isn't it? This is not ordinary. This is not transactional. This is not, oh, I could use a sip of water at some point in the next you know, 24 hours. This is, I need Jesus. So long for him. Every fiber of my being is yearning for him because I know I'm made for him. He's made me for his pleasure. He's made me to delight in him. What do you use that kind of language for? You know, my soul yearns for, my, my, my longing is for. Come on, do we, do we ever use this language about God? Is this the kind of language that we're more common to use with, you know, if we're thinking about a KFC? I, I suspect it might be. Come on, we don't need to be embarrassed in church about longing for God, do we? Do we? <laughs> we can't long for God here. Well, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle. All too often, our craving is for the things that this world tells us we need and almost kind of addicts us to. God, help us. Fill our souls with your presence, dear God. Fill us with a longing for you. A longing for you. It's an old hymn, isn't there? And you probably know the words really well. Uh, this ought to perhaps be the refrain of our lives. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace come on church a lot of you you know it if you don't 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 worry but if you know it would you say it with me come on turn your eyes upon Jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace I saw a couple of the canny ones they were like it's on the sheet it's all yeah it's all good yeah he's smart Hmm. Come on, band, would you come and join me? Can I invite you, church, just for a minute? Just close your eyes. Could you do that? If you're comfortable to do that, I think it'd be really helpful. We're just going to close our eyes and bow our heads, and we're going to come before God as we're drawing into close now. 
We're wanting to do this soul detox because I don't know about you, but I don't want my life to be seduced by anything. <laughs> I'm made for Jesus. And I'm glad to be able to say that. I'm made for Jesus. I know that many of us here, we would affirm this truth. So come on, church, all around the room, should we close our eyes and let's fix the eyes of our heart upon him? Let's do a little soul detox as the music begins to play. And again, we consider our lives before God. And dear Father, we're asking that your spirit, well, might even pierce our hearts with truth. Lord Jesus Christ, we recognize before you that sometimes, oftentimes, all the times, we need that abruptness. The abruptness of conviction, of a loving, tender rebuke that our lives are made for you and not for anything else. Jesus, would you transform us? Now, church, we've just got a few moments now. Eyes are closed. Heads are bowed. Hearts are tuned to him. But let's be real. You know, we're not going to do all of the hard work that we need to do just in a moment, not even in a minute or so on. Again, you're going to need to journey this with God, to journey this with one another in, in your transformed communities and, and no healthy, hopeful Christian accountability. But we want to begin something here this morning. As eyes are closed and heads are bowed, as we consider our, eyes, our, our lives before God, I want us just to say, yes, Jesus, I want to begin with you. I want to begin with you. And, you know, sometimes when I invite your response, church, I think sometimes we think it's only about the really big things. Can I encourage you? It's about all the things. It's about all our lives. And, and as we've been talking this morning, it may be that you're, you're, you're painfully aware of something huge in your life that you desperately need God's help with. Can I encourage you? He loves you. He sees you just like he saw that rich young guy and he loves you just the same. And he is your hope this morning. But church, there's many of you here this morning and you, you, you may have things that you would say, well, actually, they're, they're quite small by comparison. God loves you too. He doesn't want you to have any idols. Not small, not medium, not big. He wants you to have him and have him in a new way. And so I'm going to invite you to do something today, church. If you're responding to Jesus this morning and you're saying, actually, whether it's small, big, medium, whether I feel like it's got its hooks into me or whether I've been trying to convince myself otherwise, no matter what it is, I don't want a single idol. I don't want my heart to be seduced in any which way. I want to be one who yearns and longs after my God. And for that to, to change me and renew me and renew the direction of my life. And if that's you this morning in any which way, I would love for you right now to indicate that by holding up your hand. And holding up your hand and, and just keep it up there because it's not so much for me. It's that you're saying to God, yes, I need you. And if you need Jesus here this morning, would you lift up your hand and just keep it right up high and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I need you, Jesus Christ, to free me from the hold of idols in my life. Lord Jesus, I need you to free me, Lord God, from, from the seducing of, of these things that would become idols in my life. Lord Jesus, I recognize before you that perhaps I don't yearn for you, I don't long for you in the way that I would. Jesus, would you begin this new work in my life? I'm glad to see hands going up, but look, I tell you, it's not for me, it's for you. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, I need to long for Jesus in a new way, I'm gonna ask you this one more time. If you wanna long for Jesus in a new way, setting aside all other things, get your hand up, would you do that? Set yourself free, would you do that? Don't allow yourself to be shackled in this moment. Come on. I know there's some of you this morning and you're, you're kind of wrestling with it and you're saying, oh, well, maybe there's nothing for me. Is there anything that is holding you back? 
anything that is holding you back from the fullness of what Jesus has for you, then surrender to him this morning. He looks at you and he loves you and he's made a way for you. He's a good God. And Jesus, I pray for hands held high all around the room. I pray for hearts surrendered all around the room. I pray for people who are are willing to take that tough look at their lives and to humbly say, I need Jesus. There are things that have supplanted his place in my life, whether it's in just a small way or whether it's grown and this is a big deal. Jesus, would you set folks free today? I pray, God, you would grant them the courage to tear down idols. I know, Lord Jesus, that you've made this within us. You've made this within your servants, Lord God, that they would be people who would absolutely wreck the place of idols. God, you have made them to be strong and courageous warriors. And Lord Jesus Christ, the strength and this courage of being courageous in their own lives, Lord God, the tearing down of things in their life, Lord God, it will lead to the tearing down of strongholds in our world. And so I just prophesy and proclaim that over these hands held up, Lord Jesus. I see, I see warriors in this place this morning because warriors start on their knees. They start with the humility to say, I need Jesus. And I need to long for him more. And so I just proclaim over them this morning, Lord God. I proclaim over them the courage to tear down what is not of you. I pray as they long for you, Jesus, you would satisfy their heart's desire, Lord God. I pray just for a a sudden onrushing and an indwelling, an overflowing filling of your presence in their lives, Lord Jesus Christ. God, would you satisfy them in ways that they never thought possible. Lord Jesus Christ, would you cause a joy, a joy, a delight in their salvation to rise up in them this week, Lord God. Lord God, as these people set things down, I pray, God, that they wouldn't miss it. Oh, not one bit. Because, God, when they make space in their lives, you, Lord Jesus, will pour your blessing into their lives. It's going to be pressed down. It's going to be running over. Lord Jesus Christ, would you do this in their lives, Lord God? set these folks free set these folks free Jesus do a good work in our lives do a good work in our lives does anybody want to praise Jesus this morning does anybody want to praise Jesus this morning come on would you stand with me and come on just begin to lift your voice would you do that thank God for the work that he's doing in your life come on let's lift our voices all around the room and let's begin to thank God for he is good and his love endures forever. Thank him. Come on, church. Lift your hands, lift your hearts, lift your voices to Jesus. Praise him for he is a good God. He looks at you and he loves you. He's setting you free this morning. All the junk, let it be gone in Jesus' name. A new day, a new season, fullness and freedom in Christ. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, God. As we worship Jesus, we have this opportunity to bring our our tithes and our offerings. Don't forget to plop those little cards in as well. Could you help me in this? But as we give these gifts to God, just continue to give your life to Jesus. Would you do that? And let's worship him. God be praised. And to God be all the glory.